Sophia, I have a question for you. Shoot. If you were to go viral, what do you think would be the reason realistically? Not what you want it to be. What would it actually be? I think probably what would end up happening is somebody would find my horny posting alt, connect it to me, and then I'd be in, I don't know that I'd be in trouble necessarily, but oh boy, I have made some comments on that. Yeah, that's your private thing. So Kyle, what would you go viral for? I don't really know because I don't have a lot of online presence. I think it would be actually much closer to this movie where it's someone else catching me in public doing something kind of goofy. Okay. Because okay. like, I'm not going to put much of myself out there, at least that anyone would care about that much. Who is the Kyle? <laughs> Who is this generic Jewish looking man? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. With that being said... Welcome to Off the Film Path. Here we review and discuss movies that, for better or for worse, are less known to the general public. Today we are discussing 2017's The Clapper. I'm Kyle. And I am Sophia. And I gotta tell you, this movie, this movie made me deeply, viscerally uncomfortable. I'm curious which part, because I could see a couple different pieces, but... A lot of it. Yeah. There was a lot of interplay with pieces that made me uncomfortable, and constructive interference it made me a lot more uncomfortable when they kind of work together gotcha this is a movie unlike anything i've ever seen really because we do have movies of people seeking out fame and getting it and problems with that this is someone who specifically did not seek out fame in fact quite the opposite yeah so that that's one part of it that i'm like i don't know because i mean i don't know if anybody is like Notice the way that I used to talk about the show and like the way that I used to self-promote and like my entire career before getting this job. And like, honestly, a lot of the stuff that I do with my job, there is an element of fame whorishness inherent to being a political organizer. If you're not making a splash, you're not making a difference. So it's a little bit challenging in that aspect, but also... I have to apologize to everyone because I have been a lazy critic and I want to talk about the hubris of the lazy critic for just a moment before we get into this. Oh, okay. I have often said as a point of criticism that it is deeply boring and unfulfilling to see unrealistically beautiful people striving for unrealistic goals and achieving them with perhaps the most low stakes conflicts known to man getting in their way. I don't remember what the name of that Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake movie is where like that. I hated Friends that. with benefits. Friends with benefits. Yes. Hated that. Not to be confused with No Strings Attached, which had Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman and came out the same year. Yeah. So like Insanely unrealistically beautiful people having minor squabbles and shooting for the moon and making it insane stuff. Fuck that. That said, the inverse is something that I have often found myself advocating for. Show me realistic people having realistic goals and aspirations 
and real conflicts that actually matter. Well, that's what we got in this movie, and I hate it. <laughs> I didn't really think about how watching that would make me feel. It's, <laughs> oh, it's so uncomfortable. But that being said, it is deftly used to illustrate a lot of problems with society. So, Kyle, do you have anything you want to say about this movie before we jump in? The only thing I want to say is that apparently this was based on a book that was about a real guy. That might be even worse. Yeah, I'm assuming there are pieces that are exaggerated, but the real person was a professional audience member the way that our main character is. I'm not sure that's a thing that's done anymore. I don't think you can make it as a professional audience member anymore. Probably not. I mean, they weren't doing well. No. Shall we get into it? Let's get into it. I have a question for you because this movie starts off with a voicemail. And how do we feel about that? Oh my God. Okay. I was thinking about this on the way in and my reaction was, this is the prototypical Jewish mother. Call your mother. I saw you on the television last night. I got to say, I don't think you look too good. You're very handsome, but I'm not sure the thing. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You're killing your mother. I more meant specifically using a voicemail as the start of your movie. I mean, we've seen it before. And like, I don't think it's so far in the past that it's lost its relevance. But like, mm. I just think it's sometimes lazy. I mean, yeah, it's an awful lot like, you know what it is. It's an awful lot like in Repo, where instead of actually giving fulfilling backstory, they just threw a graphic novel panel up there. Yeah. I can't give too much grief because writing is hard. Yes. I do not want to diminish the creative powers of the writer's room in this. So we'll move past. And we have Ed Helms, who is playing Eddie. Yes. You would be forgiven, because I think that Ed Helms kind of has a uh, pretty strong resemblance to Jason Sudeikis. Okay, yeah. For a minute, I was like, is that? No, it's not. They were both in We're the Millers, and there's a scene where they are together, and it's like, twins, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, Eddie is practicing in the mirror because he has a question that he is going to be asking. And he tries it a whole bunch of different ways, and like, I know enough actors to know that this is a thing. Yeah, this is professional. Like, he's being a professional about it. And then he just like, hangs up on his mother's voicemail and then goes out the door. We have our intro credit scene. And there's not a lot to this, really. It's him making his way around Los Angeles through walking and, like, taking a bus and whatnot. The only thing that's at all interesting is that they did this effect where you can get this with, like, any computer camera software. Yeah, they rotoscoped it. Yes, thank you. So, yeah, Los Angeles is rotoscoped. Eddie is not, which kind of has an interesting thing where it's like, Los Angeles isn't a real place. Hollyweird, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I think it might have been? I think his body was rotoscoped, but his head wasn't because it's just slightly not right. I'll have to look back over it. Quibbling over minor details. Yeah. We then meet Eddie's friend, Chris. This is Tracy Morgan. Just delightful. Not as funny as he could have been in this movie, but... That's true. He does have his moments, but... They did not use Tracy Morgan's comedic talent to its fullest potential here, which they shouldn't have because they would have stolen the show. Exactly. I mean, if he was the main character, then they would have written it differently. 
You just have to let Tracy be Tracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we learn that these two are professional audience members for daytime TV shows, for the kind of shows that no one wants to sit in on. Infomercials. Yes. So kids, back before you had YouTube mid-roll ads and your favorite creators hawking AG1 by Athletic Creams at you. <laughs> Sponsor us, AG1. I was about to say, reminder, we are not sponsored. <laughs> no, we are absolutely not. I think that might actually be just a regular scam, but a lot of a lot of these things are. So before that era, back when in order to get your sparkle emoji content, sparkle emoji, you had to watch TV. And yeah, there were like 30 second commercial spots between shows, but there were also longer commercials that gave you a lot more. We're talking like five, almost 10 minutes long between like IPs, like a show would end. And then before the next show, you might get a five minute infomercial. This is typically so that the station operator can take a shit. It's the same reason you play Bohemian Rhapsody on the radio. (laughs) Six minutes, you got time. You got time to drop a load. (laughs) Don't like the way that went. So yeah, these were called infomercials and they were almost universally scams. Would you consider like the Billy Mays or the ShamWow an infomercial or were those just commercials with a prominent figure? Those were infomercials. Okay. I mean, the difference I think is the level of granularity that people get into. So you get a 30 second spot to run a commercial. You got to be like, hey, this product is great. X, Y, Z. Here's how you get it. That's it. That's what you got. Infomercial will do crazy shit like, ah, I saw this boat in half and taped it. I was just about to reference flex tape. (laughs) Flex tape. Jesus Christ. That's a lot of damage. That's not that much damage. (laughs) It's really not. Fucking ridiculous. Anyway, so Eddie is essentially a featured extra Mm -hmm. because he gets to ask, so you're saying with no money down, I could buy a lot of land? A house. Yes. So ready for the black pill moment? Yeah. Later in the movie, we see a clip of early YouTube, which puts this around 2004. He was hawking a real estate development, upper middle class, like there were celebrities living in the development, ostensibly, in 2004. That's fucking wild that it was 2000. Well, it couldn't have been 2004. YouTube didn't start until 2005. Oh, is that right? Okay. Well, so 2000, like very close to the financial collapse. That's fucking wild because this movie came out in 2017. Like you're telling me you didn't have a more recent YouTube? Well, no. So the YouTube that we see is like, it's a video of Eddie. We'll get into it later. It doesn't matter. But okay. Also, the way that L.A. looks at this point is kind of supposed to look old. Okay. Yeah. It has that kind of older feel that I presume you don't get these days. We learned that Eddie is not particularly ambitious. He wants to do his job as a professional audience member, and he's content with that work. He's not trying to get into scripted television or movies or anything. Which is something that his mother doesn't quite grasp. I think a lot of people would not really understand it. Yeah. So the thing here is we'll learn later that he's just trying to bounce back from a thing. But 
what he says to his mother is, well, I'm not trying to get discovered. Put a pin in that. He meets Alan Thicke, which Alan Thicke was the spokesperson for the show he was just on. Alan Thicke's a bit of a dick in this. A bit of a dick? He threatens to murder Eddie and hurt Chris if he doesn't shut up. And like, not in an I'll kill you way. He's just like, look, here's here's how this is going to go. <laughs> if you don't stop talking, I'm going to murder you and I'm going to hurt your friend. Have a nice day, gentlemen. And then walks, eat some of their food and walks off. So like, that's, that's dick. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they then go to a gas station and this gas station will become very important because Judy, played by Amanda Seyfried, works there. Amanda Seyfried, hooray. Yeah, perhaps her most normal looking role. Like Amanda Seyfried is beautiful, but yeah. they try really hard to make her seem very plain in this. It's like her appearance in the beginning of Jennifer's Body, if I remember right. Oh, it's been so long since I've seen that. I've never seen it, but I've seen screenshots and I'm trying to remember. Honestly, they didn't give her glasses in this, but it's meant to look like that kind of bookish nerd look. Yeah. The effect of making somebody look like a bookish nerd is because bookish nerds get bullied. And the conventional wisdom for bookish nerds, especially of the feminine variety is just keep your head down power through it they'll leave you alone in a minute so the vibe that we're getting is very much keep your head down do what you're doing Mm -hmm. eddie and judy have this kind of odd back and forth because the speaker is broken yeah it is fucked (laughs) so she uses the intercom to talk with him instead of the speaker at the window no okay Eddie is getting comically small amounts of gas. Like a gallon at a time. Yeah, because he makes $50 per appearance, and most of that has got to pay for his shithole apartment. That's LA. That's New York, too. Yeah. Yeah, so from here, Chris makes a thing about it. He's like, I just think you like coming to this gas station. And he's like, ah, shut up. I got to go talk to the attendant, who is this beautiful woman who looks kind of plain. When they go back to the lot, they learn that Eddie cannot get extra money for having lines anymore. The word is they will not be paying the bump. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like it was $50 per appearance, 100 if you have a question. And he did a couple of appearances and asked a couple of questions. So it was like, yeah, this is way not enough money. And sorry, word from corporate is no more bonuses for speaking. Some of the audience members are talking about we should do a union and it's like yeah you should you absolutely should by the way why are they not covered under sag i don't know some of them i can understand because you have to have speaking lines to be under sag i believe oh that's yeah you're right and then you also have to have x amount of time on camera or on camera yeah i was in sag very briefly but also There's no fucking solidarity between workers because just before they talk about this union, Chris is getting harassed by a craft services worker. It's like, hey, hey, that's for SAG. You're not SAG. Yeah, unless you have a SAG card, you need to screw off. And Eddie was just like, you know what? No, absolutely not. Chris, you take what you want from that table. And the guy's just like, I don't get paid enough for this. Exactly. Also, this is Nico Santos, who has gotten some fame more recently. Oh, okay. He was in the show Superstore. Oh, okay. Back at Eddie's apartment, 
here's where things start to get a little bad because Eddie's watching a show, a late night show by this guy, Jamie Stillerman. He's meant to be the Fallon, the Kimmel, the what have you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very clearly like in style and aesthetic. It's Jimmy Kimmel, Jamie Stillerman. Come on. Oh, this is comedian Russell Peters, who I don't think is that good as a comedian. I tend to agree with you. Honestly, my only exposure is I watched 20 minutes of a special of his and it was first 20 minutes was entirely crowd work. I'm like, that's lazy. I don't like it. But that's beside the point. He does fine in this movie. Eddie is talking with, I think it's his mom. And he's saying that he's very proud that he's able to keep his head down and just keep working. And then all of a sudden, Jamie on the TV points out that, hey, we found this guy that keeps popping up in all of these random infomercials. It's the same guy. What's going on with that? And like, ha ha ha, very funny bit, I guess. Why this is of interest to anyone is beyond me. I think they used to say this was presented to a paid studio audience or something like that. I think that was a required disclosure at one point. So like that this is news or interesting is in fact bonkers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, what does Stillerman call the guy? <laughs> Calls him the clapper. That's the name of the movie. Ah, ah, he said it. He said it. Thank you. <laughs> I just wanted to be the one. Yeah. So calls him the clapper and decides that, hey, I'm going to put it out to the entire world. If you have any information about this man, please let us know immediately. Okay. I hope I don't have to explain why this is irresponsible or negligent verging on criminal. The world is full of fucking weirdos, psychopaths, and the kind of people you don't want looking for you. Yeah, no notes. (laughs) Eddie understands that this fame, any fame, kills his career. Yes. So the whole thing here is predicated on a level of discretion that this just fucks into a garbage can. To the point, Eddie has been shown in this clip show from Stillerman To be in disguises. He's putting on different costumes affecting different characters. We see one where he's in a hoodie and like kind of being a dark and edgy, which is like not the character. But the point is, you're truly supposed to be the human equivalent of a flyover state. Yes. Unremarkable in every way. You are a vessel for the question that you ask or the clap that you make. So... Eddie goes into work the next morning, but is immediately recognized by everyone because apparently everyone watches this one obscure late night show. I'm assuming it's the only late night show in this universe. Maybe. But our boss doesn't take it super well, or at least we're led to believe her boss doesn't take it super well. We never actually get a good solid reaction from her. Oh, by the way, I think this is Leah Ramini, isn't it? It is. Love it. So yeah, so he decides to take the day off of work and tells Chris to just tell them, like, he's sick or something. Which I kind of feel like they don't care that much. I guess insofar as they need a body. Yeah, your ability to warm a seat is more important than whether or not people recognize your silly looking face. Goes back to the gas station and we meet Judy's coworker, or I guess boss, who is such a fucking asshole. Hercules. Hercules. Okay, so Hercules is, in fact, he's a Greek man. I know this because I speak Greek and he does swear at Eddie in Greek in this. 
So Eddie kind of like starts this interaction off pretty bad by opening the door and some shit falling out of his car that he doesn't immediately pick up. And Hercules is just like, hey, you need to pick up your shit, buddy. And also, like, is Judy here? It's like, what? Fuck you. That's a normal reaction. It's extreme, but it is also the correct one. If someone is asking for an employee, don't give them that information. I don't remember how Judy comes into the picture, but she does. She's on break at this point. That's what it was. Thank you. And he sees her, like, waiting to cross the street. Yes. Yes. Goes up, talks to her, and it's coming across a little stalkery. It is a little bit, but they've also had a rapport that kind of goes back. It's not clear how far. Right. So, you know, I'm willing to let it slide this time. For sure. I'm trying to read Amanda Seyfried's face, though, and, like, it sort of seems creeped out, Mm -hmm. a little uncomfortable, but also not that much because she's still going along with, is this the lunch date? So it is kind of what she's doing. She decides she wants to grab a drink. And I'm thinking of a different time. Because she also makes... Well, no, you're right. It's the same thing, but it kind of evolves into the lunch date. So, yeah, she decides she wants to grab a soda across the street, which that's because she also makes absolute dog shit. And this evolves into a lunch date with just the biggest, tastiest looking mountain of french fries i've ever seen in my life these are some good looking french fries Mm -hmm. one of the things we learn is that judy does not own or watch tv and not because she's pretentious but because she's poor that is true it does still seem kind of crazy that in 2017 someone's like i yeah i just don't watch tv 2017 i did not own or watch a tv and honestly The only reason I do now is because it was included in my apartment. Okay. It's one of two appliances included in my apartment. Also, Eddie's car gets towed. Very little comes of this, (laughs) but his car does get towed. So apparently he's got enough money to get his car out of impound, but like has to buy like onesie twosies gallons of gas. I mean, if you get your car to impound immediately, it's not as much money. I guess. I don't know. I live in New York. I haven't had a car for years and years and years. No, the thing that fucks people up, though, is that your car gets impounded. They have to alert you before 30 days, and they'll wait till 29 when the fees have racked up. Yeah. Well, shocking. I know. But that's why I'm like, eh, if you get it immediately, it's not so terrible. Yeah. We see another clip from the Jamie Stillerman show. They're really doubling down on Finding Eddie, which is insane. It's insane, and it's also such a violation, and it's also so weird that this is working. Like, why? Who cares? Yeah. This is their man-on-the-street segment. They run up to people on the streets of Los Angeles with a cardboard cutout and go, do you recognize this man? They bother Rob Gronkowski. (laughs) Yeah, they do. I don't remember what Gronk's reaction to this was but they didn't get a whole lot out of any of these people oh he was like i think i saw him in porn or gay porn or something (laughs) it was something wild (laughs) bless anyway they end up running across chris who's like oh yeah i know him oh yeah oh my god of all the things so yeah chris okay we have to talk about the characters in this movie i'm just gonna take two minutes to do this these people are presented as deeply 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 stupid. The way they do this is typically 
repetition of the thing that they care about out loud. That's the way it's communicated in the language of film is repeating like, this is the thing that I care about. I care about this thing. Like you saw this in the Big Lebowski. Like they were presented as dumb everyman. The carpet thing. That carpet really tied the room together. How many times was that line repeated in that fucking movie? At least five, which is far too many. Far too many. And that's sort of what I mean. It it paints them as like being very simple-minded. Tracy Morgan takes Chris to a bit of a different level by being actually pretty fucking stupid. This character is thoughtless. Yes. Head empty, no thoughts. Perfectly serviceable way to live, but it does mean it makes things harder for Eddie. Seems like a weird flex if you're working in Hollywood. That feels like you probably need your discretion and a bit of street sense to survive, but all right. They go to some restaurant and they're really just trying to figure out how fucked are they in terms of continuing their jobs. So Eddie is also pretty dumb because he's convinced himself based on nothing that he's been fired and he's now convincing Chris that he's probably fired too. Yeah, yeah. Also, while this conversation is happening, there is a giant ass billboard behind Eddie of him of like, who is the clapper? Love it. That's actually a good bit. Mm -hmm. Chris says that some of their fellow professional audience members can get them some work. And he says, hey, we got this law and order type thing lined up. Hey, Sophia, is this like law and order? Okay. Okay. If you have ever watched Sabaro Gigante on Telemundo, it's like if Law and Order were a bit on Sabaro Gigante. Okay, because I took this as Spanish language Judge Judy, basically. Yeah, this was closer to that. But also, I've never seen an episode of Judge Judy where at the end, scantily clad bailiff girls pop in with their tits half out, shooting off streamers. Streamers and like, I don't know what the hell else. Just wild, wild shit. Oh, this was, I think, much closer to a bit on the Amanda show back in the early aughts. Yes. (laughs) You know, bring in the dancing lobsters. (laughs) And that's sort of what I mean. Like, that was Sabado Gigante's entire thing was just to be like, buck wild. And also have like, breasty babes bouncing boobily around. I need to email Brian Regan and let him know, hey, here's a nonsense judge. Oh, boy. (laughs) After this, though, Eddie gets recognized on the street by some dudes in costumes. Like, that's their job. He just has no patience for this bullshit. Nope. But he does attract a crowd because he is being very loud about how much he doesn't want to be recognized. (laughs) Because he's talking to a group of people, and the intelligence of a group of people is the inverse square of its population. They become, as a group, dumber than Eddie. Eddie looks like the voice of reason in this group, which comports with my experience with crowds. And they take his, like, leave me the fuck alone as like, hey, the clapper's doing a bit. Isn't that great? Hey. And all of a sudden, he's on the tubes. The YouTube. 2017, he did do it for the fine? (laughs) He might have, yeah. Although I see neither hide nor hair of a smartphone in this movie. There has to be one, though. Right. Because they put it on YouTube. People are filming. 
during this thing. So, oh right, okay. So these guys are just too poor to really afford a smartphone. Yep. I mean, there's a point where he has to go to. It seems like a gas station computer. It's worse than that. He goes to a bakery to use their computer. He has to like pay by the minute or however yeah. unit of time. A dollar for two minutes. Yeah. That's how fucking broke he is. So I understand. More time at the gas station. They address that he got his car back. They say, it's like, oh, I'm sorry that happened. Yeah, it was crazy. And then move past it, which is excellent writing. Yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> So at this point, along comes a gentleman who is having a bit of a hard time with coping with life. He is in his underwear and is muttering, I'm invisible, no one can see me, under his breath, and asks for a bottle of water from Judy. And then just fucks off muttering, I'm, I'm invisible, no one can see me. Well, that's weird, right? That's LA. Yeah, that is LA. But also, if you have a crush on somebody, I think it's reasonable, especially if they work at a gas station overnight, I think it's reasonable to be like, I'm going to hang around for a minute just to make sure you're cool. Yeah, this comes across both as a little overprotective, but also reasonable concern. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I probably wouldn't have pulled out a chair. I might have leaned against my car and had a normal ass conversation for a few minutes before leaving. But it's a meet cute. It's cute flirting, certainly. They bond over singer Brian Wilson. Sure, Eddie shows this like flashcard idea that he had. He made it into a sort of reality. Mm -hmm. It's generally very cute. It is. I think also here I wrote that he gives up the game, which I'm assuming means that he said that he likes her. Oh, no, this is where he says, I come to this gas station because you work here. Yes, yes. Which I feel like at that point, you're not really revealing any information that she didn't already suspect. You are confirming. <laughs> yeah. So from here, we go to back to Jamie, isn't it? Briefly, they talk to that crowd that had been filming. Oh, yeah. Eddie, bunch of dumbasses. Yep. So, yeah. That's very brief. Next day or whatever day it is. Oh, right. Eddie gets a call, right? I don't think yet. Okay. Because this is when Eddie and Judy go to the Natural History Museum. Oh, that's right. This is adorable. So they have an actual legitimate date. And I don't know, like, I've never been to the Natural History Museum in LA. But the one here ain't that cheap. It's like 25 bucks a person. Unless you're both residents of the city. In which case, you can get a municipal card that gets you in for like five. So maybe that's what happened. Maybe there's a similar deal there. There's also plenty of places that put taxes towards those sorts of institutions so that admission is free. Oh, fair enough. Listen, Missouri sucks in a lot of ways, but St. Louis has excellent taxpayer-funded things like the zoo or museums. <laughs> oh, neat. Okay. Yeah, so at this point, they're just having this like really cute date thing. and. At this point, Judy straight up like interrupts Eddie talking about something to kiss him. That something is a little important, which is that he reveals he was married and she died. Yeah, she got sick and died. And that explains his whole kind of funk, which previously one might have reasonably attributed to just 
not being super bright, but no, he's recovering. So at this point, she kisses him and they're like, they're having a good time hanging out. They want to like be together. So cool. Cool, 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 cool. Cool, 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 cool. Hey, Kyle, what happens next? The next thing I have is that he goes to Chris's apartment. Is that what you were referencing? Yeah. And he's now on YouTube. Yeah. That anonymity is not going great for him. Nope. Two things I want to point out. Eddie asked if Chris can take down the video. I'm thinking, is this your first day on the internet? What the fuck? No, but it is the first couple of years of YouTube. As we've established also, they're not the smartest bunch. Yeah, and they're also, yeah, not very clever. There's also a very fun joke about Chris jacking off. (laughs) I like that one. I thought it was funny. Catch me masturbating once, shame on me. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god. So... They decide that they're going to send Chris to the Stillerman show to act as Eddie's proxy. Well, he's just delivering a note to the producers. Yeah. This isn't supposed to be him doing anything more than just handing a piece of paper to the producers and then screwing off forever. Smash cut to Chris on the fucking show. Yeah. Who's the producer that greets him, Sophia? I don't know this guy. I feel like I should know this guy, but I don't know this guy. So there's two producers. One of them has oh, done yeah. acting and was in Wolf of Wall Street and has done a lot of acting. Who was the other one? Oh, my God. Adam Levine. Adam Levine, which marks his second appearance on our podcast, which is bonkers. Barreling towards friend of the pod status. <laughs> but you are right. Chris somehow... Ends up on the show. Well, because he's a dummy and these are suits who are smart and persuasive. Yep. And as long as you say like, hey, just come with me. We'll get you in a moment and like keep people off balance, so to speak. You can get away with a lot. So, hey, Kyle. Yeah. They stuff him in a green room. Who's he in the green room with? Mark Cuban. Mark fucking Cuban. And this is Mark Cuban at his most Mark Cubanist. I'm sorry, I don't like billionaires or millionaires. Unsurprisingly, Mark Cuban did do a good thing somewhat recently with some like yes. pharmaceuticals. Yes. But he is still an absurdly rich man. Yes. So I do have to say, props for the pharmacy. It does help a lot of people. I really appreciate that. Because you can get HRT if you have a prescription. You can get HRT. For cheap through Mark Cuban's pharmacy. Highly recommend. Shout out to fellow member of the tribe. Yes. Mark Cuban. <laughs> yes. But at the end of the day, he's still a very rich man. And very rich men are the reason that society sucks right now. Anyway. <laughs> we have other soapboxes we have to do. <laughs> so many. Holy shit. So yes, we have Mark Cuban just glaring at Chris. And there is a plate of sushi here. and. When Adam Levine shoves him in here and says, wait here, help yourself to anything. So he's like, all right, I'm poor. I don't get sushi very often. He reaches for some and Mark Cuban's just like shaking his head. No. It's just like dangerously. Just like, no, I will eat your soul. Baffling. Yeah, very funny. Chris goes on the show and just reads the letter that Eddie had written to pass along. That's not great because as we've established, Neither Eddie nor Chris is 
particularly bright, generally speaking, or particularly savvy in the ways of the industry that they work in. So what Eddie asks for, and Chris reads aloud to a group of people who could take off 1130 on a work day to sit for free in the filming of a late night TV show, was that Eddie wants a million dollars to appear on the show. And they say, hey, Cuban, how much are we paying you to be on the show? Not a goddamn thing. Yeah. Only this wonderful plate of sushi. (laughs) Which I will say, when you are talent, they can only take care of you financially in so many ways. But there are fringe benefits. Like, they they will feed you. Amenities. Yeah, amenities. It's nice. They can gift you certain things. A lot of times they actually literally legally can't pay you. Which is what they say. They don't pay their guests. They can quote-unquote, compensate them in different ways. Yeah. Toaster, you know, whatever. But honestly, I admire Eddie. Be like, I don't want this. If you want me on your show, pay me a fucking mill. Yes. Honestly, based. Chad move. How'd it go? (laughs) They laugh Chris off the fucking stage. Because honestly, Chris is a buffoonish John Falstaff kind of character in all of this. So yeah. And then Eddie is very upset with Chris because he had one job. He had one job. Yeah. Fucked it up pretty bad. Eddie tries to go find Judy and Judy is uncomfortable now. Yeah. It's unclear because some people came to the gas station looking for Eddie and wouldn't leave for a while, which by the way, as a former gas station attendant, If you have people who are just blocking up space and won't leave when asked to leave, you call the police or, you know, you can threaten to call the police. I've done that before. I picked up the phone. was like, hey, I'm going to call the cops if you don't leave right now. And they do. Anyway, Hercules knows Eddie and Judy are friends. So he takes his frustration out on Judy. Because Hercules is an asshole. Yeah. So Eddie has stalkers. Judy doesn't understand why. Eddie tries to communicate, but it just does not really happen. So the problem is that Judy and Eddie and Chris are all the same character, (laughs) i.e. they're all deeply stupid and will not listen to reason because they get very excitable about everything. Anything that is not their routine enervates them. And it's hard to talk to an enervated person and speak reason to an enervated person. It's also worth noting, though, that Judy's main concern right now is, will I be able to keep my job? Which, fair. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So after some fumbling attempts to explain himself that don't really work because he doesn't communicate well, we shift scenes and from here we go to... Well, this is where he goes to the bakery to pay to use the computer. Right. To try to find the number for the place because he can't get a hold of Chris for whatever reason. Right. A funny thing, when he does this search, there's an ad or one of the links or something says, girlfriend of mysterious clapper found. I was like, oh, shit. Uh Uh-oh. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Which is then weird what happens later if they already identified her. But sometimes these things can take time to build up steam. So, like, I view it as part of the same thing. Yeah, it's all whatever. 
So while Eddie is trying to get a hold of the Stillerman show, the next morning, the Stillerman show calls him. Yes, they do. And that is creepy. How did they get a hold of him? On his home phone number. No, how did they get that, though? Oh, I don't remember. Chris straight up told them. <laughs> oh, you fucking asshole. You fucking shitty dummy. Now, in order to prove that they are very serious, they list a bunch of shit that you have to do some, like, I don't know how much, how deep of a background check you would need to do to get this information, but they did a background check on him. Yeah, they ran a couple of, but it's basic private investigator stuff. Like, it's the basic private investigator package. That is true, but it also means that they gave a shit enough about him to do that. Which is, again, just the wildest thing that's ever happened. They're in negotiation now, though, because... Eddie doesn't really want to come on the show. They, of course, want him. And they are willing to start from a very generous compensation package perspective. An all expenses paid, couple of day vacation at the Ritz. There's driver waiting for him outside his apartment. They also talk about paying him in exposure. Ah, yeah. Eddie says exposure doesn't pay my bills. Absolutely correct. What doesn't get said out loud, though, is exposure is actively harmful to Eddie. Yes. Which is why I tweeted out what I did yesterday where I said the thing from Gravity Falls. Exposure. This is worthless. Yeah. It's less than worthless. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So he agrees to come on the show is what it ends up being. Or agrees to meet with them, rather. Yes. He won't go with the driver. There's someone who knocks on his door. He goes out the window. Yep. And he escapes out the patio or whatnot. Love it. Love it. Goes to the gas station. Well, Judy got fired. Yeah, she did. And she's walking across the street. And so he goes to talk to her and she is very deeply upset, which makes her even less receptive to an explanation. That was from earlier. Oh, was it? Shit. Because now she's gone. Like, here's where oh, that's the stretch right. of the movie that she's out of it. Yes, that's right. Okay, so at this point, we have this, I don't know, I feel like I recognize this guy too. Oh, the guy who came up and was like, hey, you're the clapper, let me get a picture. No, the guy who replaced Judy. Oh, I didn't recognize him. He looks familiar to me, but I don't know. He's just a guy. Yeah, just a guy. And he's fun to watch. I would watch a movie that's just about this guy mm-hmm. shit-talking people from his booth. Yeah, he's not sympathetic to Eddie in the slightest, which is actually kind of funny in the way he delivers it. Yes. Yeah, so he fucks off and (laughs) don't be that guy. You're being that guy. He starts doing a search for Judy. I think he goes back to the bakery to go use the computer and goes like, Judy, who works at the gas station. In Rosemont or whatever. Yeah, not helpful in the slightest. Nope. This is this man's first day on Google. He formulates the plan that he is now going to use the Stillerman show, the promise of promoting, to promote his search for Judy. Yeah. So he agrees to go on, and they have a pretty good show, honestly. It's as late night nonsense goes. This goes pretty well. Mm -hmm. And it's mostly because Eddie doesn't say... Yo, you guys are fucking up my life. I need you to stop. One fucked up thing that happens on the show, though, is they show footage from the green room of Chris, who is not aware that he's on camera on the show. 
and is the butt of the joke. And it's like, that's fucked. Yeah, but it's also, okay, so I will say that it should have been pretty obvious to the suits that these guys are not, you know, firing on all cylinders in the same way that they are. So maybe you have to be a little more clear and explicit with your waivers. But once you agree to be on a show and like enter the studio, like you got to assume you're on camera the whole time. As a side note, I went to this place in St. Louis recently that there's a sign that says by entering, you agree for us to use your likeness. I'm like, I fucking hate that, but I want to go here. Yeah. Whatever. What I'm saying though is fucked up about this though, is the joke is, Hey, look at this guy who's on camera and doesn't know he's on camera. Look at him. He's reading. He's kicked his feet up on the couch and is reading a book. Ha ha ha. It feels like such lazy comedy, which is all late night shows, but yeah. So he doesn't assert himself like he should in this situation. And that means that the show goes very well for everyone. And so he's invited on the spot. He and Chris are both invited to be man on the street correspondents for the show for a healthy sum. Now, in 2019 or 2020, I was on an episode of The President Show on Comedy Central. It would have to be 2020, wouldn't it? It was directly after Donald Trump decided he was going to ban transgender people from the military. And so they got me and a couple of other trans people out to some fucking place in the middle of Long Island. And we shot a whole thing where we asked like this guy who was dressed up as Trump a bunch of questions, made fun of him a little bit. And then we had a kind of half-assed assault course that we ran with a former drill instructor doing her thing the entire time. It was fun. So that being said, I can firmly say that in 2020-ish, the going day rate, for a SAG extra, $750 a day. That's just for being a, a non-principal extra. These guys are being offered significantly more. They're getting $5,000 per appearance. With a guaranteed minimum of five appearances. That is a significant portion of my yearly pay. Yep. So although Eddie does not like working with the Stillerman show, it's now financially viable to do so. Yeah. It also... Kind of colors the search for Judy. Unfortunately. In a way that doesn't really get addressed. So the problem with being an actor, being talent, is you don't necessarily have a lot of say in the editorial process. So when Eddie goes to the gas station in his Where's Judy segment and says, Hi, I'm the clapper, Eddie, what's his name? And this is the gas station that Judy used to work in before she was fired. That sounds very different than the finished product, which was cut slightly so that the timing was a little more comedic and it was followed by a laugh track. So it sounds like he's telling a joke because these people are assholes that don't really care at all about Eddie or his life. Nope. They're looking for lols. There's also a thing in here. One of the, you know how movies have like, these are kind of important. And then there's some like tendon scenes that kind of connect. Yeah. So in one of those more connecting scenes, I think Eddie's watching the Stillerman show and they show a clip of the naked guy. Mm-hmm. And it's like that. Again, it's just like, this is just. It's low rent. It's cruel. Classless. But yeah, so they're bothering the naked man. It's very, very tacky. 
but he keeps doing it because they're backing up a truckload of money. And Eddie's kind of doing okay for the first time in however long. So he kind of swallows his objections to the whole thing and does it. We see Judy go to Leah Remini's trailer looking for Eddie, which is how she finds out about all the Stillerman show stuff. In particular, Eddie's man on the street segments. Yeah, not great. So she's like, oh, you mean this idiot? And then turns the TV on and there's that cut that makes it look an awful lot like he is making a joke about Judy getting fired. And she is rightfully pretty upset. However, unlike being a reasonable person and saying, I need to hear an explanation for this, she gets very mad, unreasonable, and storms off, but calls into the Stillerman show. Yes, they bring Eddie back because they now have Judy on the line. Yeah, and this conversation goes mechanically about as well as the previous one, but functionally significantly worse. As a side note, we see the audience for the Stillerman show, and in the front row there is an extra who is like an extra in a lot of things. He was in a Super Bowl commercial. He's this like rosy-cheeked, redhead mess of hair. Yes, okay. I know who you're talking about. I do not, for the life of me, remember his name, but he has been in a lot of things. And I believe actually there was a cracked article of like, oh, he's in all these places if you look for him. No, cracked, don't. Okay. I thought it was funny that the situation of the movie kind of happened to that guy and he was in the movie. (laughs) Oh, this movie has layers. Yeah, so... Their conversation is, hmm, catastrophic. She uses a word live on air that spells more or less the death of his TV career because he's not a Hollywood producer. He is a nobody who is kind of a non-principal actor. She says it's stalkery. So next day, Adam Levine calls him up. I think this character's name is Rafe something. Rafe Ratner. Rafe Ratner. So Rafe calls him up and says, hey, you don't have any criminal history, do you? And this makes him very indignant. And again, if I were in Rafe's position, here's exactly how I would play this, right? Because you're dealing with silly people who are not very savvy and not super bright on the whole. You're like, all right, invite them into the studio. Let's get a nice lunch going and just very calmly, carefully, and thoroughly walk through Hey, she said this word stalker. Here's why that's a bad thing. Here are the steps that we as the studio had to take. So we have a couple of questions for you. Also, we're going to need to put you on ice for a minute until things cool down, but we'll bring you back. That's what you should have done instead of just been like, hey, man, I'll call you. Don't call us. Yeah, that's some bullshit. It is some bullshit, but it's also extremely commonplace. Yeah. Ever tried having a job interview? (laughs) I don't have to tell you that. No, no, you don't. (laughs) So yeah, they're going to distance themselves. We also see, though, people are still going after Judy, which is insane. Yeah, Judy does not matter in this. No, not really. It's also not Stillerman's people. That's what's weird about it. Oh, is it not? All I saw was a camera and a mic. So it might have been, it might not have been. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. We're getting the idea that this is becoming a nationwide phenomenon, which, no, no, this doesn't have any legs at all. 
We need better entertainment then. Yeah, we do. There is now a six-month time skip. Yep, and the Stillerman show feels comfortable bringing him back because things have cooled off a little bit. The news cycle's moved on. Nobody gives a shit. So let's see what the Clapper's been up to. Hey, oh. We didn't feel like writing this week. Yeah, so they bring him on. And oh, by the way, I missed one thing. There is an intercut with his mother talking to this lady who she seems like she's one of like they just reused her because she was one of the professional audience members. She very, very closely resembles her. Mm -hmm. But they're talking and they decide they're going to L.A. and they're going to talk some sense into the I'm going to talk some sense into my boy. So they get on a plane. Next thing you know, they're in L.A. And so he's on the Stillerman show. He's having his talk and he's getting close to actually like he's he's you can feel the tension rising. Like he's building up to like, hey, man, this whole thing has fucked me up, fucked up my entire life, fucked up everybody I cared about. What the fuck? He was climbing to that when it bursts his mother. Ooh, it is like daytime TV drama, some Jerry Springer type shit. That is exactly what my notes say. <sighs> yeah. So in service of calming Ma down, he also is like, Jamie every once in a while tries to get a quip in, and they're both like, you shut the fuck up. <laughs> Which, based. As does the not Adam Levine producer. Yes, yes. So he, he does try to calm things down, and they were like, Back off, nerd. Eddie kind of manages to take control of the situation by just talking and not letting other people get in a word, which is good sometimes. Take your space, King. Yes. And one says that Stillerman Show, they did some fucked up shit, but he wasn't innocent either. Which is technically true, but also not nearly as true as the Stillerman Show did some fucked up shit. Right. He also says... A lot of things that if you take any line in isolation doesn't really make sense. But a lot of this is just him processing grief on live TV. Yeah, turns out that is content. So people seem to dig that. And after the segment, he plugs that they were celebrating National Nut Day at a supermarket or something. Like, hey, stop on by. We'll be there. That six-month stint Eddie and Chris were doing, like, appearances at mm -hmm. what have you just to make some money. Yeah. So this is just another one of those. Can we talk about Chris for a minute? Yeah. Chris, in this scene, is just an audience member on Jerry Springer. <laughs> so mom bursts and she's like, what the hell? And she starts going off on Jamie. And she's like, oh, damn. Get him. Get him. And... <laughs> And there was a lot of, no, she didn't kind of stuff going on. He's very fun to watch in this scene. This was Tracy Morgan. Best part of this character. Well done. Love to see it. The culmination is that they leave the Stillman show and they said, we're done. It's, I won't call it a clean break, but it is a complete break. Yes. Thoroughly broken. So then they're at their national nut thing and... No one cares. No one's there. Seems like the well's dried up. Yeah. And then this... Three-legged dog kind of wobbles up with a dog wheelchair with a note that I can't... What did the note say? I don't remember. It was like, I see you. Or just like, hey, what's up? <laughs> Something very plain. And then a one-eyed pig comes out. And Chris has a very 
very understandable reaction to this. What the hell? And then Judy comes with the one horned goat that she's been kind of like, it's been brought up, but I don't remember the context. I think it was something to do with like a petting zoo in Mexico. I thought it was like an animal shelter. Or an animal shelter, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. She said if she didn't have the gas station job, that's what she would do. Mm -hmm. Well, we knew she didn't have the gas station job anymore. Yeah. So, hey, good on her. She made her dream come true, I guess. But she's here and looking for Eddie, who's inside getting a drink. Eddie comes out and is very, very, very weird about this whole thing. They talk a lot. They say I love you to each other, which is wild. That's wild. But also... If the person who called me a stalker on national TV shows up, the very first thing I'm doing is saying, I'm sorry all of this happened and fully explaining myself. What I would not do is propose marriage on the spot. Holy shit. Also, she fucking says yes. Why? This part doesn't make sense, but it is also the last thing that happens. We do see the wedding. Yeah. And then say with me. Roll Roll credits. Kyle? Yeah. I hated this. Were you fine until the ending or? No. No. Okay. So like I said earlier, the whole like relatable dummies with relatable mid goals just like kind of fucked me up more than I thought it would. I was not playing that up for an audience reaction like that. That was not comfortable for me at all. And I don't know exactly why. So there was that. There was the fact that Nobody stopped reacting long enough to go, okay, let me gather more information on this before I make a judgment. Oh, so it's an idiot plot. Yes. And that, unfortunately, I think that's what it is. I think that's what got me is that somebody heard, I want normal, relatable people. And what we got are fucking idiots. (laughs) I still think there's worthwhile things to talk about, though. By all means. So, obviously... This is a depiction of how virality can really fuck up people's lives. Yeah. Another example of this, because this was based on a book which was about a real person. I don't know that he got burned the way Eddie did in terms of being a professional audience member. Mm -hmm. Beside the point. The kombucha girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When she made that, apparently she was working at a bank. And after that video blew up, according to an interview I saw from her, she got fired because I think what happened was the manager was like a very old school person who didn't really understand the internet that well. So it was like, hey, I don't want any heat. Like, it doesn't matter that people just think it's funny that you reacted to kombucha. This is eyes that I don't want. So she got fired. Also very bad at marketing, apparently. Yeah. I just slapped her face on a credit card because bank tellers are basically credit card salespeople. Now, Brittany Broski has turned that virality into a, I hate to call it a content creator job, but that's, yeah, she does YouTube stuff. She does podcasting. Cool. Yeah. Managed to make a living out of it, but that's best case scenario. Yes. Yes, it is. Let's talk about some less good scenarios. Dylan Mulvaney. So Dylan Mulvaney, before she transitioned, which was not that long ago, was, I believe she was in the Book of Mormon or a production of the Book of Mormon. I don't know if it was Broadway or off-Broadway, whatever. It doesn't matter. So she transitioned about a year ago, and her entire thing has been 
She's on TikTok and she does a daily diary and is like very vulnerable about what transition looks like and how that works. And it's been really helpful for a lot of people who, you know, might not otherwise understand the trans experience. And she currently has more followers on TikTok than Elon Musk has on Twitter. So brands being brands, they decided, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Here's somebody with like half a million subscribers. Let's put our product out in front of those half a million people. So the two big things that have happened, well, there's, there's three big things. So she did an appearance on the Drew Barrymore show that people who have never seen the Drew Barrymore show critically misinterpreted and used that to go on a transphobic thing about. So that was thing the first. Thing the second is that Nike decided they were going to have her as a brand model ambassador to their women's clothing line, which a bunch of transphobic people just, just ate up. They made so much hay out of that. And then thing the third thing that really apparently broke the chudosphere was Bud Light decided, yes, yes, let's let a goofy queen be cute on TikTok with our beer. And so she did a whole Audrey Hepburn breakfast at Tiffany's thing for March Madness with Bud Light. And it was adorable. And you know what? I'm going to put the link to the TikTok in the description. 45 second paid sponsorship specifically only to Dylan Mulvaney's audience on TikTok. What ensued was a bloodbath. Most recently, I saw fucking James O'Keefe, who with any luck is going to prison very soon for a long time, chasing her down in a hotel that she was trying to check into and needing a member of the staff of that hotel to shove him out of an elevator so that she can go to her room in peace. Virality has not been going great for Dylan. And I feel very bad because at the end of the day, she's just a cute, goofy nerd. Like, it's it's fun. It's fine. I think it would probably be exhausting to be with her, like, all the time. But she seems very kind and very sweet and genuine and, like, a nice person. And they have just freaked the fuck out about the whole thing. So virality has nothing to do with you as a person. It has everything to do with how you make the kind of people who tend to stick with their initial reaction to anything feel. And it's just, it's bad. It's, virality sucks. The other problem from this that I've seen discussions on, not like serious, but I've seen posts online, so I've gotten some ideas and I think it's interesting, is using the public as content. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. And, hey, we live in a fucking surveillance state, and it sucks. Yeah. So, slightly less funny story than Dylan Mulvaney getting harassed by James O'Keefe. The Daily Mail, that's a great way to start. Right. Yeah. So, recently, there was a big tech CEO in San Francisco that got stabbed to death. So, that happened recently. Apparently, right now, the suspect is a fellow tech CEO. This is something that the right-wing chetosphere has decided they don't want to pay attention to so that they can promote the idea that cities are dangerous stab shacks. And to do that, the Daily Mail, the most classless institution in a country absolutely cucked by the concept of class, 
decided that what they were going to do was release CCTV footage of this man stumbling, covering his stab wounds with his hands across a street away from the site of his murder as evidence that San Francisco is a dangerous place to live. That's virality, baby. We live in a surveillance state and your grisly murder will be televised. In a panopticon. (laughs) I hate it here. I hate it here so much. Yep. Then we got a little doomer pilled, as Sophia is fond of saying. Yeah. Fuck. We live in the worst timeline. <laughs> well, one of the worst. I don't think I have any more analysis. I mean, we talked about the public being turned into content, which sucks. People can't just live their lives. And also how virality sucks. So I, I think I've covered what I want to discuss a little more analytically. So I do want to touch on... Well, obviously, this movie is about capitalism and the capitalist nature of show business. And I don't think that requires a whole lot of deep analysis. It's pretty ham-fisted in this movie. And it portrays the suits as very clever people who know how to manipulate the rubes. That would be us. And the way they do that is with money, which I think probably most of us don't realize how little money it would take for us to override our own self-interest. Because exposure doesn't pay the bills. I got my phone bill. I got my extremely expensive rent. I need to buy furniture. I got all sorts of shit that I got to pay for. And fortunately, I have a job that covers my bills. But not everybody is as fortunate as me. Me five years ago was not as fortunate as me. So like, this is a bad, bad place to be because the amount of money it takes for you to override your own self-interest drops with the amount of money that you make. I think an interesting thing, though, in this particular one, is that Eddie's self-interest dovetailed really nicely with the producers. He wants to find Judy. They want him to find Judy so they can make content, and they'll pay him to do that. Like, it kind of all works together in a more palatable way for Eddie. I mean, I'm not going to say that every single person who works in a corporation is evil. I think that Rafe and what's his name had a vested interest in bringing the two together. That would be heartwarming content. Like that's good shit that I would want to put on my TV show. But again, editorial license, they are doing comedy, not romantic reality. So you need the yuck-em-ups and the easiest comedy is at the expense of somebody else. So It's the nature of the beast that you're currently, you know, in bed with. There is a point to which as a person in Rafe and what's his name's position, there should be a point where you go, no, this is not what I wanted. This is actually counterproductive, but it brings in the views, which brings in the ad dollars. And by the way, ad dollars for you and me wouldn't be that much, but for a late night show, it's a lot of money. So again, money versus self-interest. It doesn't take nearly as much as you think. Like if a brand came up to me and said, hey, we, Athletic Greens, will pay you. I'm just going to throw a number that I think is kind of realistic out there. $10,000 for 10 spots in your podcast. I'd be like, yes, I will choke down your slop. I don't care if it's made of cyanide. That's not true. I wouldn't drink cyanide for $10,000. But yeah, like the number is not as big as you think it is. So just... A thing to keep in mind and a thing that this movie kind of makes you think about. 
talked about capitalism sucks. I talked about money versus selfish. I think that's it for me. One general thought I have is I like that these types of movies, the sort of movies that you have to pay attention to. Plenty of big blockbuster movies, you cannot really pay attention and still enjoy yourself. This one, if you don't pay attention, you will absolutely have a nothing of a time. Yep. Yep. I like the kind of movie where you have to pay attention like this. Mm -hmm. And it always leaves me with some feeling that I can't quite identify. And it depends on the movie. But it's always like, just like, oh, that's what I wanted to say. Something I liked about this movie was Amanda Seyfried being, I'll call dressed down, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. You find the most beautiful fucking people in the world just out and about. The gas station attendant. They're making a thing right now about the big controversy on Twitter. If you go on Twitter, you'll find Jennifer Connelly is God, trending. I, no, I can't talk about this right now. I hate that so much. It's so stupid. Essentially, it's like somebody caught a picture of Zendaya going through the airport and is like, mid! I'm like, yeah, nobody looks their best at the airport. Fuck off. My point is a little undermined by the fact that it's Amanda Seyfried, who is an actress in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. But like, there are beautiful people all around. It's kind of wild. Yes. <laughs> I appreciated that these people had achievable goals. It wasn't these crazy lofty. There. It's like, no, I just want to be an audience member. And that's what I do. I want to work at this gas station. And that's fulfilling. Look, if you can work at a gas station and that would be fulfilling, more power to you. And I think we should make that a safer job. I used to do that job. I was there for three months and I got robbed at gunpoint. This is the only place I think this story makes sense. So I'm just going to tell it now. The summer between high school and college for me, my family went to Southern California for a vacation and my parents got to be in the audience in Jimmy Kimmel. That's kind of a cool thing. Like that's something you don't get to do that much. I was not able to go because you have to be at least 18 to go. And although I was 18, my sister was not. So I had to stay in the hotel room with my sister while my parents got to be in the audience of Jimmy Kimmel. Tragic. I know. So ratings? Ratings! On a scale of enjoyability, where are we putting this? Mm -hmm. Kyle, go first. Okay. For me, it's a six and a half. It's a fine movie. I don't need to watch it again. It's but it was basically fine. I'm going to have to go for... Yeah. I super uncomfortable in a lot of ways. As was pointed out to me when we did our Zardoz episode, you can't judge the enjoyability of a movie off of how much you enjoy analyzing it. That's fair. Analyzing this movie is fun, but did I enjoy watching it? No. And then on Obscurity, with one being an Oscar-nominated movie, then being literal student film... There are too many well-known people in this movie for it to be like a nine. But yes. And it's also a Netflix movie. Oh, was it? I didn't see that. Yeah, it's it's on Netflix right now. It's on Netflix. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it, it's on Netflix right now. So it does have a little more spread than like some movies do. So I'm going to say probably. Before you do, I did look up some stuff on Wikipedia. Uh-huh. What Wikipedia lists as the box office, $7,000. Oh, baby. I did not know they reported that if it was that low. To me, it's like a seven. Like, I can go higher, but I'm putting it at seven. I think I'm going to go six 
just because like, I mean, Mark Cuban, Tracy Morgan, Ed Helms, Amanda Seyfried, Russell Peters, like there's yeah, yeah, there's there's enough known faces in this. You can't really borrow Amanda Seyfried for like the time it would take to make a movie and not have people notice. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll meet you at a six. We sometimes have the tendency to put them a little higher without yeah. regards to the full range of the scale. I mean, it's it it's on the list, so obviously it's a little bit right. As we wrap up our episode, we will end with our pop culture pop out, a piece of pop culture we have been interested in as of late and just want to talk about for a little bit. Sophia, do you want to start us off? Sure. So I just finished actually like on my walk over here, an audiobook called The Paper Magician. And so what I've been looking for is kind of a good substitute for something like I'm done with Harry Potter, obviously, like. I didn't enjoy the books past the fourth one. I did not enjoy Order of the Phoenix or any of the ones after that. And this is before like J.K. Rowling's horrible bigotry came to light. So I'm kind of like in search of something that fills that Harry Potter shaped, wizarding world shaped hole. I don't think the paper magician quite does it, but I will say it's very interesting. So this is a story about a working class English girl in... I think it's the late 1800s. And the way magic is is known, it's not like a secret to the outside world, but it is kind of a separate but equal society. And so if you have like magical talent, you can go to the school Tagus Graf and learn to be a magician. However, after that, you are given a material that your magic works on and you're bonded to it. And that's the only thing that you can do magic on ever again. And then you also have to do an extensive apprenticeship. So the main character of the book, CNE, she wants to be a metal magician so that she can enchant guns and artillery pieces and everything, which she'll live to see World War I. That might come in handy. But instead, because there are a lack of paper magicians, she is assigned to study the art of paper magic. And she, like you, you probably thinking that sounds pretty, pretty fucking lame. But it tickled a part of me that was like, all right, so in university, I studied, the first time I went, I studied intelligence studies with a concentration on low intensity conflict. The second time I studied commercial space operations with minors in flight test and simulation, high performance vehicles, systems engineering, and human factors psychology. The third time I went, it was applied linguistics, no concentration. I work in organizing. So... There's a part of me that relates to a character who like has these aspirations and like wants to do this thing more than anything in the world. And society is just like, no, no, what we need is more paper folders. So that's what you're going to do. So coming to grips with that, it was very interesting. And it does kind of fill a space left by the Wizarding World universe, which, by the way, deeply sucks. So Kyle, what do you got for us this week, this time? I watched the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Ooh, tell me about it. It's good. There's a lot of things that are very recognizable from D&D that, honestly, if you had never played, would still be really enjoyable. Oh, cool. So, for example, one of the characters is a sorcerer, and they make some mention of different spells he's done. Mm -hmm. And there's a one sentence 
about wild magic. Oh, neat. And it's like, oh, shit. I know, it, like, they're listing all these spells. And I was like, oh, he's wild magicking because it happens kind of randomly. Mm-hmm. And then they say it. And I was like, I got that. But it was still very cool. The only complaint is it was unrealistic in that no one was gay or trans. Yeah. <laughs> Truly unbelievable that no one in this D&D world was part of the queer community. Wow. Yeah. But still pretty good. Awesome. Probably the best review I heard of it is like, it's good. I mean, it's, it's not War and Peace, but it's not supposed to be. It's the Dungeons and Dragons movie. When was the last Dungeons and Dragons related media that you were like, this is art. This belongs in the Louvre. Fuck off. It's fine. It's Dungeons and Dragons and it's fine. Sophia, where can people find you online? Well, I have a link tree. Big hits are I am terminally online on Twitter at Hamilcarenina, H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R-E-N-I-N-A. I am backing away from Quora because I'm just, I'm getting sick of that nonsense. Yeah, it's unhealthy at this point. And I only really used it to, you know, promote my medium project, Queering House, which I also have the fifth columnist there. I'm there as Sophia Helena Maestatricht. Instagram, H underscore MDT. If you are so inclined and in a headspace to hear about those sort of things, you can track my weight loss journey there. And let's see, what else? What else? Don't find me on Facebook. I'm on Hive when that decides to work. That's it. Kyle, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter and I regret it every day. At Kyle the Giggles. I'm on Tumblr, Letterboxd, and Twitch under Hebrew Hammer. We also have a Twitter account at Off the Film Path. Sophia did a recent live react to what movie was that so the first one was trancers and then the second one was called space truckers that's the one i'm thinking of space truckers might be one of my favorite movies hell yeah i'll need to check it out at some point it's free on youtube if you'd like there's a link at the bottom of the show notes where you can leave a voice message to appear in an upcoming episode whether to leave a pop culture pop out or discuss the movies we talk about. But in order to get in on the next movie, Sophia, what are we watching? Don Verdeen. And oh boy, if you thought I was weird and squirrely in this episode, wait till next time. Ooh, if you thought we were shit-talking of Christians in the Velocipaster, just you fucking wait. I have not yet begun to shit-talk Christians. Thank you very much for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. Tell your friends about our discussions. I think they're pretty good. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I got nothing on this one. Get a billboard, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, get a billboard and put our podcast up there. You can use one of my better pictures or I have a headshot. If you just call me, don't call me. (laughs) I will send you my headshot and you can put that up there because it looks nice. Thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye.